This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. Forever, Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. 
Our text today is found in Psalms, the 23rd chapter, in the fourth verse, and it reads as follows. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As we speak this morning to the subject, peace in the valley, amen? Peace in the valley. We're in the midst of our series on faith, but more importantly, we're in times and lights of which we've never seen before at this degree. I believe that everything in life ultimately leads to a turning point, and I believe that at this particular point in time in history, we've reached a turning point. Necessity is the mother of invention, a wise man once said. And if necessity is the mother of invention, I'm inclined to believe that adversity is a catalyst to activating our faith. Amen. More than ever before, God is calling us as his children, us as his people, to stand up and rise up in faith, to stand in the midst of the turbulent times in which we live. Now, in our text, we find that David is writing about the ultimate victory that comes from faith in God. And it's in this particular verse here in verse 4 that he's challenging the readers to understand that by faith, Peace can be found in the midst of the valley. Now, it's often said that when we get older, the mind is the first thing to go. And that's usually because an individual begins forgetting more frequently. Now, whether it's something as small as a stick of butter, church, or on a shopping list, or something as critical as one's name and address, memory seems to be one of the first faculties that fades. And some doctors believe that this happens because the mind is not exercised as rigorously as it's been designed to. And that by the exercising of the memory, the mind can in fact be restored and not only restored church, but rejuvenated. And that's what God desires to do even in these turbulent times. I know that it's, there's tremendous pressure and unrest in the earth today. I know that with the protests of the travesty that happened in Minneapolis, that people are on edge, that, that people are intense, that people are at a level of, of high alert, the likes of which they've never been in before. But I'm here to submit to you today that even in this time, there is still good news. Amen. Now, the same message that David gave in the fourth verse of Psalm 23 is the same message that applies to us in the midst of our circumstances, not only today, but in life. No matter how deep the valley might seem, remember that God continues to be in control and is more than enough to give us victory in the midst of our circumstances. So we shouldn't focus on the problem, but instead we got to have faith in the problem solver in order to find our peace in the midst of the valley. Now, Dr. King in his I Have a Dream speech talked about the dream that he had, talked about the mountaintop experience that was coming, talked about the victory that was to be won, talked about the realization of the equality that he saw in his dream. If we look at it from a practical standpoint, it's not happened today. But I'm here to let you know that there is good news. What we do have today is we have what David spoke about in Psalm 23, and that's faith. Amen. We have the faith to continue to stand. We have the faith to continue to press on and work and walk on and do all that God has called us to do. And that faith is housed in the truism that for me, the acronym faith, F-A-I-T-H stands for. And for me, faith is fully accepting the intention of God to have us walk in the fullness of victory. Amen. We've got to understand that what God desires us to do is allow him to be God in the midst of situations. You may say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but you don't understand how this has affected me. You don't understand the frustration that I feel. You don't understand the pain that I have. You don't understand the anger that's that's coursing through my veins right now. You don't understand what 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 happened in Minneapolis did to me. I'm here to let you know from a very human side that yes, I do understand. I understand completely where you are. I understand completely what you're going through. I am an African American man in America. I'm an African American man with between biology and engrafting with seven African-American men that I call and view and love as sons and seeing them that range from age to 17 to 27 and looking at the perils and the plight of where we are today and looking at it against the backdrop of Dr. King's dream. 
I'm here to let you know from a personal standpoint that this is a valid time for me. It's a valid time for a whole lot of individuals of African-American descent, of black and brown descent. It's a valid time for a whole lot of individuals that thought by now we would have equality. We will be in a position where we can truly love one another. As Dr. King said, not by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. But instead, we still find ourselves divided and, 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 and hated and classed out and being in, in camps of privileged and oppressed. And, and, and God is saying that he's not pleased with that, but he's calling us to do something different. He's calling us to flip the script. He's calling us to move out of the driver's seat into the co-pilot seat and let him drive and pilot and lead and guide us in the way that he'd have us to go. And in order for us to effectively do that, we have to take some lessons that David learned in the midst of the valley and find that same peace in the valley that he found to not only go come come out of the valley, but go back to the mountaintop and beyond into glory. The first thing that we have to remember is that we have to remind ourselves of who we are. Amen. We got to remind ourselves of who we are. Now, the first thing that David did in the midst of this time that he was going through in his life, the first thing he had to do was jog his memory. And he did that by reminding himself of who he is. Now, he found himself in a very precarious state, yet in the face of the despair that was before him in the midst of the valley, he found solace in remembering who he was. But more importantly, church, he found strength in remembering who God is. And that's what God desires us to do. He desires us to find strength in remembering who he is. He knows who we are. And we know, if we're honest with ourselves, who we are. But the real strength comes, the real capacity to tap into fully allowing God to intercede so that we might walk in the fullness of our victory and have victorious living. The key for that to happen is for us to understand and remember who he is. This is why he wrote in the first three verses of Psalms 23 where he wrote that the Lord is, is his shepherd. The Lord makes him lie down in green pastures. The Lord leads him beside the still waters and the Lord restores his soul. And that formula of provision, that provisionary formula, church, is the key to our success in times like this. It's the key to our success to activating our faith. It's the key to our success in turning away from where man would have us to go and turn back to where God desires us to go. Now, the four provisions that remi reminded David in the midst of the valley that he was healed, he was directed, he was cared for, and he was loved unconditionally by God. And God wants us to understand the same thing, that we're loved, that we're healed, that we're cared for, and that we're truly directed by God, that our steps are ordered by him. Now, now what God desires us to do is realize that as we tap into that, we'll remember where we came from. But more importantly, we'll remember whose we are. We'll remember who we belong to. We'll understand and realize that God is doing something great in the midst of our lives. And it'll help us understand who it is that we are in his eyes. The enemy would love nothing more than for us to get caught up in the sight dynamic of the equation where it says we walk by faith and not by sight. The enemy would love nothing more than for us to get caught up in the sight dynamic and focus on where we've been and focus on what we've had and focus on where we've blown it and focus on the things that divide us from God. But instead, God is saying that a, a new commandment that I, I give to you, that you love one another as I love you. God loves us unconditionally. Jesus came as our example to help us see that God's love is an unconditional love that he has for us. And he desires us to take that unconditional love and love unconditionally so that others might come to him. And loving unconditionally moves us out of our sight line, church. It moves us out of what we think we know. It moves us out of our flesh and moves us into the point of having that faith, to the point of doing faith, to the point of fully accepting God's inclination. To have his way in every aspect of our lives. Here again, the word faith. God desires us to truly walk in that measure. Walk in that dimension of acquiescence. Walk in that mindset of God have your way. Walk in that resolve to not my will, God, but your will be done. That's where God desires us to live. That's where God desires us to operate. Because God wants us to understand what he already knows because he created us. That we truly are somebody, to quote Jesse Jackson. 
We are somebody. And the somebody that we are transcends our color, transcends our geography, transcends our finances. It goes all the way back to where we were made and the quality that goes in us. I've said on more than one occasion that the company Zenith, when they were making TVs back in the 70s, their tagline was the quality goes in before the name goes on. And with God, it works the same way. God doesn't call us his without putting the attributes of himself in us because he knows what's in us and he knows just what it's going to take to get what he's put in us to come out of us to be a blessing to others. And we have to trust God and fully accept his inclination to have his way in our lives or faith this thing so that God can be God in the midst of the earth and so that others can be blessed. Amen. And look at what it says in Jeremiah 31 and 3. It says here, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I've drawn you to myself. With unfailing love, I've drawn you. That implies two things. That implies that the love has been put under duress. It's been tested by stress. It's been tested by situations. It's been tried in the fire of circumstances. It's been shaped in the crucible of hard knocks. And it's come out pure and refined by that fire, pure as gold and ready to be used brilliantly to make a difference in the lives of others. That's how God's love is for us, church. And that's the measure and degree of love that God desires us to show to others. And the only way we can do that in the midst of our stuff, the only way that we can do that in the midst of all the things that the enemy keeps throwing at us, the only way we can do that as we're being sifted as wheat, because Jesus said that he's praying for us, that the enemy would not have victory over us. We have to realize and turn our face like flint towards God and say, devil, not today, no matter what you're trying to do for me, what you mean for evil, God ultimately means for good, because I know that in my father, that I'm directed, that I'm healed, that I'm cared for, and that I'm unconditionally loved. I don't have to worry about what's happening in my, in my life because I know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. So we must always remember that God has our back. God has our back because he indeed knows our names. I tell my wife all the time when something comes along that she feels might be a little heavy, that feels like be kind of ominous, I let her know, babe, I got you. I got your back. I've got you. I've got you. And because I've got you, you can take comfort in knowing that you have the help that you need to make it through the circumstance. And not only make it through the circumstance, but make it beyond the circumstance to a degree and to a dimension that you may never have even dreamed we could get to. The Bible puts it this way, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or even think. Here's a catch. According to the power that's at work in us, the power that's at work in us is faith. Our full acquiescence to God's inclination to have his way in our lives. We say yes to your will, God. We say yes to your way, God. We say yes to your work in our lives. And when we do that, we're putting ourselves in the hands of one who has a track record of victory, who has a track record of never losing a case, who has a track record of never losing a war. He says concerning us in Jeremiah, the first chapter, verse five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before I formed you. Unpack that for a second in your mind and in your spirit before I formed you in the womb, meaning if I can put it in corporate terms, before it was an actual item, before it even got to research and development, it landed on someone's desk. In this case, it landed on the desk of the Father in heaven. And there was a pitch party between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that pitch party is documented in Genesis. It's documented in Genesis 1, verse 26, when it says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And if I could take the eschatological licensing and be in the room, and I could just put myself in the room, if I could be like we say all the time, a fly on the proverbial wall in the throne room of heaven. I could only imagine when the father said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. The son might have said something like, father, do you really, you really want to make someone that looks like us and functions like us? And the Holy Spirit's like, do you really want to make someone that has the capacity to tap into me and be driven and fueled like we are? 
And the father said yes because he knew the quality of the material he was going to put in us. He knew the degree of his own essence he was going to put into us. He knew that he was going to put his hands on us and truly form us. We were going to be his masterpiece. We were going to be the master's piece that would represent him in the earth. He knew that he breathed the breath of life into us so that we become a living soul. He knew the quality that was going to go in us before he put the name of his children on us. And because he knew those things, he could say this, that before I formed you in the womb, before you were twinkling your mom and dad's eye, there was a concept meeting in the throne room in heaven. And we talked about you. And as long as we talked about you, believe me when I tell you that in talking about you, we had great things in mind for you. We had great plans in mind for you. We have tremendous things in store for you. We have tremendous use for you. But in order to get to those tremendous things, you have to, and, and to find the peace in the midst of the valley season that you're in, you have to fully allow me to intercede in order to have whatsoever you say. Or again, putting faith to work. There are those letters again. Faith, F-A-I-T-H. God needs us to have faith in order to find the peace that he has for us in the valley. So we have to always remember that he has our back. We have to always remember that God knows our names. No matter how far off the path you feel you are, as we'll see in a minute, you're never off God's path. As long as you acknowledge God and have faith in him and fully acquiesce yourself to allow God to intercede and to have his way in your life. As long as you allow God to move by faith in your life, rest assured God has your back and you can find peace no matter how deep the valley might be. The valley sometimes can go below sea level. And when something goes below sea level, sea level seems to be the proverbial zero line. When it goes below sea level, it's perceived in the mind and heart of man that it's in very, very bad shape. And that there's no coming back from something like that. In, in numbers, I thought that you could go no lower than zero. But a funny thing happened. What I learned, I learned, I believe it was in... Um, in, in, in geometry, that you can go into negative territory. And when you go into negative territory, you think zero's the end, but zero is not. There's negative one, there's negative two, there's negative three, and so on and so forth. And we've got to realize, and, and once I realized that, 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 that those negatives were there, negative 37, I'm sitting there, negative 37, negative two didn't seem so bad. So it's all about perspective. And many times what we fail to do is we fail to do the second thing that we have to do here. And that's remember where we're going. Amen. We've got to remember that we're, that we're going somewhere. We've got to remember that even though we're spinning our wheels right now, we're not spinning our wheels just for the sake of our life's lot is to spin our wheels in everything we do. No, no, no. The, the, the life that God has for us is one of abundance. Not only abundance, super abundance. So we can have whatsoever we say. But we've got to function in faith and realize and understand that it's according to the dunamis power that's at work in us, that Holy Ghost inspired, God inspired, able to destroy yokes and move burdens. That's the measure of power that God has. And the only way that we can access that power and the only way we can activate that power to move in our lives is to move by faith, to faith this thing, to fully allow God to intercede on our behalf so that we can have whatsoever it is that he says we're to have in our lives. And what David did at this point is he looked not away from he looked away from his past. He didn't focus on his on his present, but instead he looked at his future. There's a saying that people have that is not about the destination, but it's about the journey. And usually individuals that are traveling by car make this statement. And they make this statement because they want to take in all the sights. They want the senses to be flooded with the sights and the sounds and the colors and the aromas and the textures and the flavors and the everything so that you can access it in your memory. So that at a moment's notice, when you think about that road trip, your mind and your spirit is taken back to the wave of excitement that comes. Catch this with everything that you saw, because everything that you saw wrapped you up in that moment. Everything that you saw got you tied up in that instance. Everything that you saw got you so tangled up in that season that it was all about just reliving that over and over 
and over again. And you get carried away in real time back to a time that's long gone and long past. It's called, many people call it romanticizing a time, romanticizing an incident. And the enemy in real time would love for us to do nothing more than get caught up in the senses, get caught up in what we see, get caught up in what we hear, get caught up in what we smell and touch and taste, get caught up in the here and now so much and get caught up in the, the journey that we think that the journey in life is all there is. But if you look here in the text, God shows David something very valuable that he wants to show us right now. And what he showed David was that while the path that he had David on guided him into the valley, David had to continually remind himself that his journey, catch this church, was through the valley and not to the valley. Amen. We're going through the valley, but we're not going to it. And see, when the enemy gets us caught up with all the stuff that's around us, when he gets us caught up in the sight lines and the scents and the smells of the season that we're in right now, the incidents that are going on around us, the pain that we feel, the, the, the anger that we feel, the angst that we feel, the, the fear that we feel, all the things that we feel, the, the enemy can use that to snap us right back in that position. We can be going along at a good pace, running for the Lord, running for our lives. And like a Pavlovian response, he could snap a spiritual finger and bring those memories to our remembrance and be we could be sucked right back into that moment and come to a dead stop and dare I say like moving from negative 13 back down to negative 30 start moving backwards that's what the enemy would love nothing more to do the bible says of the enemy he comes but to steal to kill and to destroy but the word says that I come that you might have a life and that you might have it more abundantly. And in order for us to get away from the steal, kill, and destroy and to see the eye, we've got to understand our perspective and our place in God's economy of scale. With God, it's not about the journey, but it's about our destiny and reaching our destination for the master. And in the process of reaching our destination for the master, along the journey that we go, he'll let us know when we need to roll the window down and pray for somebody. He'll let us know when we need, when we need to crack the door and let somebody in. He'll let us know when we need to turn the air conditioning on and cool off some stuff that might be a little too hot. He'll let us know we need to crank the heat and heat up some folks that have become dry bones and cold. He'll let us know what we need to do, when we need to do it. But we have what we have to understand is he's the one that's in control. And it's critical for us to, under, to understand this at this point because it's easy for us to get sucked into the journey, to get sucked into our valley experiences. And all of us, if we want to grow and rise in God, have to go down first. A seed has to be broken. The word says unless a seed goes into the ground and dies and is broken open, it can't come up and be and make a difference in the lives of so many more. So what we have to look at is we have to look at the reality of perspective. We have to look at the reality of being set apart. And God has set us apart to do his will. He set us apart to do his work. He set us apart to fulfill and manifest the destiny that he has for our lives. But only we can do that as we learn to fully acquiesce to God's instruction in order to have the direction that we need to do what it is that God desires to do with us fully in our lives. But what happens is that our flesh gets us so caught up in the set apart dichotomy, in the apart aspect. By nature, we as human beings are communicative. We like to communicate. We need to communicate. The root word of relationship is relate. We have to relate to one another. But if the enemy can keep us so sucked into circumstances where we're divided because of this and divided because of that and separated because of the third and, and hindered because of the fourth and sifted like wheat because of this situation and sifted like wheat because of that situation or, or affiliation, the enemy has us right where he wants us. And it's an age-old adage in warfare of divide and conquer. But I'm here to let you know and to serve notice on the devil that we're not focusing on what our flesh wants to focus on. Because what our flesh wants to focus on is the apart aspect of being set apart. But what faith does is faith helps us to deny, to forcibly deny, to forcibly uh, 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 succumb to God's authority in turning our heads away from what the enemy would sit before us to stoke our flesh and to turn ourselves like flint back to God and say, God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
breaking the back of the enemy in the spirit by taking that rebellion, taking that pride, taking that double-mindedness, willfully and forcefully stuffing it back to where, in, in, where it came from in hell and saying, God, I'm believing you and I'm grabbing onto you. Yes, there's a valley season happening in my life now, but I know that this valley season is not my destination. I have a charge to keep. I have you to glorify. I'm just passing through here. I'm not to, to supposed to camp out here. I'm not supposed to lay anchor here. Yes, I may make contacts here. Yes, I have to make contact here because I'm communicative and you created me to be communicative. The way the church puts it, I'm evangelistic and I have to go out and touch the lives of individuals and touch the lives of people. And I do it willingly and I do it gladly. And I do it helping them to see as Christ helped us to see that we're just passing through. We're not, this is not our home. God has a place for us not made by human hands. Why do you think Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. The only way we can get there is walking by faith and not by sight. Like David, we've got to realize where we're going. It says here in the last few verses of the 23rd Psalm that David focused. He looked past his valley experience. He was looking past it and looking that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies to the point that my cup runs over. And you, you, you went on to say that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And here's the payoff, church. This was David's destination. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what David's destination was. He knew that he was going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He knew that he wouldn't always be able to see it physically with his natural eye. But he knew by, and he may not even always physically see it with his spiritual eye. But with his eye of faith, he knew and understood and fully accepted God's intervention in his life to have him walk circumspectly before the Father. Again, David was faithing it. David was mindful and understood that it took a, a supernatural understanding and effort, a willing shift, a, a true shift, a true paradigm shift. The paradigm stopped with us being on top. We went to the bottom and put God on top. And when you put God on top, it's not like we can actually physically see what's happening. We stop walking by sight. We stopped getting caught up in the romanticism in the spirit of the things that made us passionate in one instant and angry in the next instant and fearful in the next instant and timid in the next instant and uncertain and unsteady in the next instant because that's where the enemy wants to keep us. He wants to keep us dazed and confused. But I'm here to let you know that like David, we too have a destiny that's God ordained and purposed. Now, the season in the valley, like it wasn't for David, is not our destiny and destination in life. It's not designated to break us, church, but instead, what it's designed to do is make us great in God and make us equipped to guide others to the same destiny that God has for us, which is peace and presence with him. That doesn't mean we're not going to go through some things. It doesn't mean that we're not going to feel some type of way at times. It doesn't mean that we're not going to feel hopeless and, and helpless and what's the point and just feel exasperated. I had something happen even earlier today that just had me absolutely exasperated. I'm like, Lord, what's the point? It seems like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And I had to catch myself, literally catch myself. I had uh, I had a friend of mine laughing one time that when I, I get out of I, when, when I get like that, I literally have to grab myself by the ears in my mind and stop myself and shake myself back into the proper mindset and say, uh-uh, we're not doing that because death and life, the Bible says, are in the power of your tongue. You have the capacity to turn this thing around. But the way that you turn it around, in addition to the words that you speak, is having the faith to believe that God is, is, is going to fully and completely initiate the change necessary so that you might have victory in your life. Or again, he's going to have you faith it so that you can make it. Amen. It says in the word in James 1 verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But here's the catch. Because you know where you're going, let patience have its perfect work because perfection in God is maturing. Let it have its perfect works because it's maturing us. Let it have its perfect work because it says in the word that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking nothing. Amen. God desires to mature each and every one of us. And it's in these times of valley experiences. It's in these times where we feel that we're completely down. When it seems like we have nothing, that's where we can take heart in knowing that God more than ever before is truly up to something in our lives. And we have to stand on our faith and stand on the promises that God gave us. And like David, not focus on where we are right now. I'm rejecting the the, the journey right now. I'm rejecting what I'm seeing right now. I'm rejecting what I'm feeling right now. In the moment, I'm receiving it, but I'm giving it to you, Father God, because I'm rejecting it as my destiny. This is not my destiny because this is not my home, church. What we're dealing with right now is not our destiny in life because this is not our home. Racism is wrong. I want to go on record as saying that it's wrong and everything, every protest that's happening, every march that's happening, every outcry that's happening is all warranted and should continue to be done until true and lasting change takes place. It should have continued to have been done and never should have gotten to this point. That being said, we do our part while we're here and we understand that we're doing what we need to do to make a better life for ourselves here, but more importantly, a better life for those that are coming because this church is not our home. We're just passing through. One of the greatest things we can get in passing through times of adversity is experience because that's what David did. David took the experience that he got and he understood that what was happening here was not necessarily for him, but it was to teach him. How to make a difference in the lives of others so that they might have a better life than he had. They might have a better life as far as signs, wonders, and miracles and victory that he had. And he had a tremendous life. And he wants us to count it all joy. Our minds have to be set on God. Before anything else can be set on God, our minds have to be set on God. This is why we have to know that like David, the valley is not our final destination. But it's only a station on the journey to greatness in God. It's only a station along the way. It's only a station designed to help us get our focus off the apart and turn our attention to set. Because if we turn our attention to God, God has set us in the place that we're in. And if God has set us there, he set us there for a reason and he set us there for a season. Because it may not be time for us to be moved in our role yet. It may not be time for us to be put in our position yet. It may not be time for us to be activated in the fullness of our gifts yet. It may not be time for us to be plugged in to the people that he has for us yet. It may not be time for you to release that record yet. It may not be time for you to start that business yet. It may not be time for you to embark upon that relationship yet. But don't give up on it and think that it's time to have a pity party. Woe is me and my flesh. It's time for me, myself, and I to get together and talk about how horrible life is. No, no, no. The devil is a lie. It's time for us to turn our faces like Flint to God and in faith fully accept God's instruction to heal us and prepare us for what's next. In other words, turn our faces and faith our way into God's will for our lives. And there's a reason for that because God knows everything there is to know about us, our beginning, our end, and every point in the journey, every station in between. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. God knows what he has for each of us. He knows what he has for you right now. You may think that you're in such a dire place that God could never reach you. I'm here to let you know God doesn't have to reach for what's already in his grasp. Amen. You're already in the palm of God's hand. There's no place that we can go that, that God's not at. We could, If we took the wings of the morning, as the psalm says, and fly to the uttermost parts of the earth, uttermost parts of the world, uttermost parts of the universe, kind of let you in on a little secret. When you get there, God will be there waiting saying, what took you so long, beloved? Because that's, how, that's the kind of God that we serve. And when we realize that no matter where we go, God is there waiting for us with open arms and open heart and open spirit ready to fill us and revive us and renew us. It brings us to the last and most important thing that we have to remember that David got a hold of with this particular scripture and it changed his life. And that's we rejoice right where we are. Amen. We've got to rejoice right where we are. 
We've got to rejoice even in the midst of this time when it seems like it's a midnight hour. That's the best time to rejoice. You don't believe me? Ask Paul and Silas. They were locked up in the prison and it said that they were singing songs and hymns and spiritual psalms. And around midnight, hallelujah, around midnight, the prison shook. And when the prison shook, the doors flew open and the guard that was guarding Paul and Silas and the shackles fell off of Paul and Silas and the guard that was guarding him took his knife out and was getting ready to kill himself. And Paul and Silas said, don't do any harm to yourself. Each and every one of us are here and accounted for. We're present and accounted for because we answer to a higher power than the power that wants to keep us chained because we have faith and fully rely on God, fully accepting his inclination to have his way in our lives or faith in it yet again. God has come in and given us instruction and the instruction that he's given us is for you to do no harm to yourself. This day, your life is going to be changed. That day, the Bible declares a man gave his life to God and him and his household became believers. That's just how fast God can move. But it happens when we rejoice. There's something about releasing praise in the atmosphere. There's something about setting worship loose in the atmosphere. It changes things. It changes things, church. Now, in this last and most important thing, <coughs> excuse me, this last and most important thing that David executed, he did it because he understood the importance, not only of physical fitness, but more importantly, he understood the importance of spiritual fitness. Amen. He understood the importance of spiritual fitness. When I was growing up, the president's council of physical fitness and sports set the bar for every boy and every girl between the ages of eight and 12. And they gave percentiles and you did all these different things. <laughs> and if you, were the, if you were in the top 10%, the best of the best, you got the patch saying, I'm the best of the best. And that patch was supposed to be a representation and a statement, catch this to everyone around, that these individuals that they keep up on the trajectory that they're going are going to be our best and our brightest as adults. They're going to lead the way in physical acumen. They're going to lead the way in being physically fit. They're going to lead us into the next dimension of our existence as being fit America. Can I let you know a little secret? If that works in the natural, how much more does God's counsel of spiritual fitness and eternal life want us to be active so that we can be found doing well? So that when we transition from labor to reward, we can hear the father say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We can rejoice in knowing that we're doing the exercises necessary and the fundamental and foundational exercise that we've got to do. We've got to exercise our faith. We've got to exercise our discipline to fully accept God's inclination to have his way in our lives. We've got to be ready to let God do that. We've got to be ready to faith at the drop of a hat. We've got to be ready to verbalize our faith, to actually make it active, to make our faith active, to get our faith out there in action, doing what the enemy would not want us to do, doing the things that the world might deem as impractical or crazy because the word says that God takes the foolish things of this world and confounds the wise. David understood and realized in this verse, in verse four, that his words had power. And what he did here is he decreed that in spite of his walking through the valley and the shadow of death, he'll fear no evil because he understood that all the devil could do, catch this, all the devil could do is recreate. Only God can create. That's why he said, yea, though I walk through the valley and the shadow of death, because the enemy can't create death. The enemy can usher individuals into death especially premature death through sin. But the enemy cannot create death. What created death was sin. Sin brought death into the world. Sin ushered death into the world. We have a remedy for sin. It's called salvation. And that's found through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So what we've got to do is understand the, the same key that David understood. And that key is this. He resolved not to walk in fear, but instead to rejoice in faith. What David did is as his mind was jogged, his memory was jogged because he remembered where he'd been. And it reminded him of who he is. At that point, 
combined with the remembering of where he was going and what awaited him at this point of destiny, prompted him to lift his voice in praise and adoration to the God that's his provider, that's his protector, that's his deliverer, and that's his ultimate source of love and victory over any situation that'll face in life. And what happened was in this moment, in this moment in verse four, David surrendered his will to God's will. And what God did in return is he birthed something in him. He birthed in David a new dimension of faith, a new dimension of authority, a new dimension of dominion, and a new dimension of existence that would ultimately define his rule as king, his reputation in life and legacy, and ultimately position him in the hall of fame of faith as a man after God's own heart. No individual in any hall of fame in any sport has ever gone in that hall of fame without taking at least one loss. Everybody misses it. The Bible says that all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. But the individuals that get up are the individuals that realize that God is in control. Are the individuals that realize that God has given me a fundamental truth. And that fundamental truth is that if I fully allow God to intercede in my life and to have his way, I can get up. And not only can I get up, but I can show up. And not only if I show up, can I, will I show up, but I'll grow up in him. And not only will I grow up, but then I can shine and rise and give him the glory so that people would come from the north and south and east and west to say yes to him. And the legacy will be established, not for my glory, but for God's glory. And even in the midst of where I am right now, the most powerful thing I can do is rejoice. I can give God praise. God inhabits the praises of his people. And when we lift up God's name in praise and rejoice in knowing that even in the midst of the valley, we still have victory. Rejoice. Re is a prefix that means again. So once we gain our joy again through our praise in the midst of the valley, God can then take us and elevate us and upshift us like a car that's driving up, that, that's driving uphill, upshift us like a vehicle that's on flat road that's picking up speed. That faith will allow us to pick up spiritual momentum so that we can go forth and do the work that God has for us to do. And we take those bumps, those, those, those things that come into our road, uh, into our road of life, those valleys, and those valleys become speed bumps because those valleys are things that are going to bless us and help us get to our destiny more appreciative and bringing others along with us. 1 Corinthians 15 and 57 puts it this way, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us the victory. It's nothing we can earn. It's nothing we can ascertain. It's nothing we can work for. It's nothing we can bargain or barter for. He gives it to us freely because of his unconditional love, because he's directed our path, because he cares for us, because he desires to keep us healed and in a constant state of divine health. And what God desires ultimately for us to do to have our ultimate peace in the valley is make up our minds that we're going to stand in faith and rejoice in the midst of the valley, knowing that victory is ours because greater is he that is in us, church, than he that is in the world. That's all David realized. He realized that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The enemy will say, well, you know you messed up when you slept with Bathsheba. That's okay. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. You know you had a riot killed. Doesn't matter. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I'm turning away from you, Satan. I'm turning away from those things that would make me feel guilt and make me feel shame and would seek to divide me and disqualify me from my father. And I'm going to fully accept God's inclination to hear my voice in prayer, to hear my voice in praise, to hear my voice in rejoicing, to hear my voice in worship, to accept and receive my worship in every form so that I might be made a higher and better version of myself. And that's how we become higher and better versions of ourselves, church. And that's how we find peace in the midst of the valley. That's how we find peace in times as volatile as these. That's how we find joy in times as dark as these. And th that's how we find the strength to continue to press on. Because it says here in Romans 8, verses 37 through 39, that yea, in all these things, we're not only conquerors, church, we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. And that's because we're fully persuaded. Faith has you fully persuaded. And it says that I'm persuaded that neither death, 
nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our power source to continue to keep our faith alive, to continue to keep our faith active and well, to continue to keep our faith strengthened and oxygenated and ready to be used. So I know that the valley might seem deep and I know that the challenges might seem insurmountable. And I know that we're in times that are rough and I know that, that, that people are, are saying horrible and harsh things. And I know that division and violence and evil seems ever present. But where, where evil abounds, grace even more so abounds, church. So take heart and know that indeed there's peace in the valley because God is with us and he indeed has everything under control. I pray that you were blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. If you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things. Won't you join me now in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin I ask you into my heart, and I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience, or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, please email me. The email address is livingtowitness at gmail.com. That's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness. <music>